and tomorrow we begin our our uh, descent. See, we're in, we're in northern Israel right now. We're actually just on the Sea of Galilee, just a few miles from it. And tomorrow we will make our descent to Jerusalem. And when we get there, we'll spend four days there, and we'll go to the the Wailing Wall. We'll go to uh, every place in, in Jerusalem that you can imagine. But everything's going great, and we're having a wonderful time. I was actually, um, Rudy and myself, we arrived at the Mount of Beatitudes about two hours prior to everybody else, and we were actually able to sit there and together and read the entire Sermon on the Mount, pretty much from where Jesus preached it. And it's, it's amazing to be in those places. I'll share just one more thing with you, and then I'll be done. Today, uh, we were going to go, me and Rudy were going to go baptize each other in the Jordan River. And we went to the Jordan yesterday and waited up in the knee-deep in the Jordan River. And today we were going to go back, and something spoke to us and said, don't go back. And so instead, we went to a site in Tiberias where they had found a period-correct boat from the time of Jesus. And you could actually go out to a dock behind that, and you could ride a boat similar to what they rode. And... We walked up to the boat and asked them if we could get on, and they told us no. And then someone else asked us, they said, are you pastors? And me and Rudy, Rudy said, yes, we're pastors. And they said, get on the boat. And we happened to get, we didn't happen to, God made it so that we could get on the boat with, uh, with the only Christian boat at the dock out of about 20 boats. And it happened to be loaded down with pastors from, what was that country, Rudy? Do you remember? Libya. And so there were probably 30 Libyan Christian pastors on the boat, and they have actually invited myself and Brother Rudy to go preach to them in Libya, and they said they would pay for it. So uh, we'll take another couple of weeks to be back. We're going from here straight to Libya. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but they did offer they did offer us to go to Libya, and uh, the the chaplain of the Libyan Senate actually personally asked me to come and minister to their Senate. So I may get to do that in the near future. And so, and we're meeting lots of Christian people. We're meeting wonderful folks here about almost every preconceived notion that we've had about Muslims and about Arabs and and all that has, has pretty much been proven wrong. And, and I do have one more story to share. I said I was going to stop, and then I'll be done, and I'll let Brother Avery preach. Um, the first day on the Jesus Trail, we got lost. And when you get lost over here, you can't just go to the local gas station and really ask anybody where you're at. And we ended up in a small village just outside of Nazareth down in a valley. And these people don't see Americans ever. They were wanting to take pictures with us. They were wanting to take videos with us. They were smiling at how we talked. And it just so happened, again, the providence of God showed up. We were lost, and nobody could tell us where we were at, not even what village we were in. There was that much of a communication barrier. And we prayed. Brother Rudy prayed. And about two or three minutes later, the only English-speaking Arab in the village showed up who was a Muslim, and, and he asked us where we needed to go, and we told him. And he said, not only, he said, well, I'll show you how to get there. He said, I will drive you in my car to where you need to go. And so God sent someone to get us. And then we asked him what his name was, and he told us it was Muhammad. So when we were lost in the middle of, of an Arab village, God sent Muhammad to pick us up and take us where we needed to go. 
So what a blessing that was. So it was. It's, we're having a, a, an extremely wonderful time. Everything's great. Uh, like I said, the people here are wonderful. We're meeting people from different cultures. And, and we went to an Arab Christian church on Wednesday night, and they were just worshiping the Lord. I got some video of that. We had a worship service on the boat today. So this is not just uh, a, a visit to just go sightsee. It's a visit to worship God and grow in faith. So everything is, is wonderful. I'm having the time of my life. And uh, maybe in a year or two, if, if we would like to, I would like to organize a trip with some folks from the church. And we'll come over here, and I promise I won't make you walk 40 miles like Ronnie did. So I just want to say hello to my wife. I see her there. And I doubt my babies are in the sanctuary, but I'll say hi to them. And, and Brother Cecil, Brother Mark, the deacons, Charlie, Mike, Marty, hi, guys. It's good to see you. So I'm going to log off. And I will see you guys next Sunday, a week from today. I will be back to church. We're going to be flying in Friday night at about 9.45 p.m. after probably flying about 19 hours total that day. So please pray for our safety. Thank you, and have a great rest of your service. Seth listens to this, I want to tell him I greatly appreciate that rare footage of a hotel window. <laughs> I, I have to be a little sarcastic for him, just, just for his sake. Uh, I'm kind of jealous of him being over there, to be honest with you. But I'm happy for him that he could be there and, and experience walking where Jesus walked. And uh, what, a, what an experience that is. But you know something just as good as that? We can be here and be in his presence. And Christ is with us, just like he is there. Uh, Mark chapter 11 this morning is where we'll be. Mark chapter 11. It is an honor to be here with you today, to be able to stand in. Mark chapter 11, uh, we will read uh, verses 11 through 14 then we'll jump down to verse 20 and Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple and when he had looked round about upon all things and now the eventide was come he went out unto Bethany with the twelve and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany he was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Skip down to verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. I want to ask you a question this morning. The message is nothing profound. It's probably nothing you haven't heard before. The question I want to ask you, and I think Jesus is asking you, is this. What is on your branches? What's on your branches? Think about that this morning. 
Uh, let us uh, go to the Lord in prayer together now. Lord, we love you and thank you for this day. Thank you for this congregation, these good people, and this opportunity. Uh, Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts and quicken us. Lord, bring us conviction if we need it, comfort if we need it. Uh, Lord, whatever the need is today in the life of each person, I ask it would be presented and it would be met. And above all, we ask that Christ would be lifted up and glorified. And if there's anyone here unsaved today, Lord, let them see their need of a Savior and understand the simplicity of the gospel and be saved today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. What's on your branches? You know, this scripture almost, if I can use the term, this scripture almost seems just kind of randomly placed within the narrative of what's going on. It, it almost seems not to fit here with all that's happening. Uh, and the Spirit of God found it necessary to insert this little clip, this little snippet of Christ's experience with the fig tree. I don't believe anything is placed there in Scripture by accident or without a reason. And I like to slow down sometimes and just look at those neglected Scriptures that we just pass over and find the truth that is there sometimes hidden in plain sight. Uh, it, we understand what's going on. It's really simple. Jesus is hungry and he sees a tree that he would expect to have fruit on it. And he goes and finds nothing uh, to nourish himself and curses the tree. Uh, a lot of questions come up as to uh, why did he curse the tree and, and different scholars have you, as you study on the scripture have different interpretations about uh, the phrase where it says that the time of figs was not yet. I would read that and take that to mean that it wasn't yet time for figs to have grown. Some scholars disagree and say that that simply means that the time of harvest is not come and gone and it's reasonable to expect there could still be some figs on the tree and their interpretation is that Christ cursed the tree because it was supposed to have figs and it didn't and it goes on his way. Really, all those questions aren't all that important to the thought that I have for you this morning. Uh, I, I just want to look at some, some basic applications of this fig tree spiritually applied to us as Christians and our life and how that we produce fruit and bear fruit for the Lord. Uh, if you study through the New Testament and look at the life of Christ and the parables and the illustrations that he made, it seems evident to me that Jesus is very interested in the subject of fruit bearing. Matter of fact, if you go over to John chapter 15 and read the story, uh, or not the story, but the, uh, the illustration that he gave about the vine and the branches, you'll see that he illustrates himself as the vine. And us as Christians being just little branches that shoot off from that vine and our only reason for existing in that context is to bear the fruit that the vine wants us to bear. You know, if you look at a, a grapevine, uh, those branches are not there for decoration. They're not there for ornamentation. They're there for only one reason, and that is to produce what it is the will of the vine to produce. A vine on a, on a, a branch on a grapevine that's not making grapes is not productive for what it was created to do. If you look at the life of a Christian, there's certain fruit that God intends for us to produce through our life and through obedience to him and if our life is not being fruitful I don't want to hurt your feelings this morning but if we live a life that's consistently unfruitful or fruitless 
Uh, you could argue that our life is being wasted and God has certain things that he wants our lives to produce for his glory. And, and I'm a slow learner and I, I preach this everywhere I go, but I, I have finally learned the only thing that God is supremely interested in is his own glory. And people look at you funny when you say that because we know that God is a God of love and he loves us and he's interested in us and he gives good gifts to us. But ultimately, everything that God does and everything in the plan of God works together to feed into the glory of God. There was no other reason why he created mankind to begin with other than to be glorified himself and loved himself and worshipped himself because he was all sufficient. He needed nothing. He wasn't lonely. He didn't need anyone to do anything for him, but he had a desire or a need uh, to be loved. And, and in a sense of the word, maybe he was lonely. But the one that is perfect and worthy of all glory, he's going to get it one way or another. And his chosen way was through his creation that we would be fruitful and produce the things in our life that glorify him. And I'm telling you, if you want God to be interested in your endeavors, start endeavoring to do things that glorify God the Father. That's the thing he's the most interested in above everything else. I might suggest to you that that's why he's so interested in fruit bearing. As you read through the New Testament and he gives illustrations about fruit and here he curses a tree that didn't have any fruit I think he's interested in fruit don't you first thing I want to point out most people wouldn't point this out first thing I want to recognize is that every tree has seasons of fruitlessness let's, let's look back at, at the text again just a moment let's look at verses 11 through 13. I'm sorry, verses 12 through 13. On the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves. Notice that. Having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Look here, the phrase again, for the time of figs was not yet. Now, I'm not a great scholar, but I have read the words of some theologians, and it seems to me that people are not in agreement on this very simple scripture. But just from a, a simple man's point of view, it looks to me like what has happened is the only reason that Jesus went to this tree was because he saw the leaves. And when he saw the leaves, that tree was making a statement, look at me, I'm alive, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to have fruit on me if you come and examine me. Scripture says that the time of figs was not yet, but Jesus saw the leaves. And when he came to that tree, he found that tree in a condition of fruitlessness. Now, as, as conservative fundamental Christian people, uh, we automatically think of the Scripture in Matthew 7, verse 19. Jesus said this. He said, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. So our first inclination if we find a person in a state of fruitlessness is to condemn them uh, to, to being useless and to being fruitless and to being not worthy of redemption and to being past help 
and we think of that scripture and we say it's all over for you because you're not bearing fruit. But let me ask you a question. When's the last time you saw an apple tree that made apples in December? Think about that for just a minute. When, when was the last time, or how many in this room could raise your hand and say, you are fruitful all the time in all seasons of your life? You might be able to do that, but I'm not as spiritual as you are. I don't really know about you. I think I do know about you, but I'll only speak for myself. I go through seasons in my life. I go through seasons of hurt. I go through seasons where I understand who I am in Christ and I understand who he is and I understand what my problems are but for one reason or another I'm hindered and I'm not being fruitful. I have seasons that I have to go through a healing process to come back to where I can produce fruit. I have seasons as a Christian I know this is going to blow you away, but I have seasons as a Christian where there is sin in my life that hinders me from perfect fellowship with the Father. And I have to get that dealt with and get that out of the way in order to be fruitful once again. But every time I go through a season of fruitlessness, God, by his Holy Spirit, deals with me and, and meets the need in my life and brings healing. And whatever is wrong at the time causing me not to produce fruit, God, in his grace and in his sovereignty, meets the need and I'll once again come back into a season of bearing fruit. So let me suggest to you this morning, don't get your axe out the minute that you find a tree that's not fruitful at that particular time because there may come a time that God brings healing and that tree begins to produce fruit again. Uh, could I ask you to think about times in your own life that you're sa you were saved and you know that you were saved. Nobody could convince you otherwise, but a wound has taken place on the tree. Or a disease has come and hindered the tree. Or the climate was not quite right for the tree. The tree wasn't producing fruit at the time. Some of you may not understand where I'm coming from, so let me give you another scripture. In Luke 13, verses 6 through 9, listen to something else that Jesus also said. I want you to remember now what we're talking about. We're talking about trees and seasons that they go through. Every tree goes through seasons of fruitlessness. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 13. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree. There's another fig tree now. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? We're about to hear the voice of grace. Listen to verse 8. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. So here we see another fig tree that has gone through a longer than necessary season of fruitlessness. The owner of the tree says to the servant, cut it down. All it's doing is robbing from the ground. All it's doing is taking from the environment. All it's doing is taking and not giving. Can I park for a minute and ask you, have you ever went through a season in your life as a Christian that all you did was take and you didn't give? 
I'll speak for myself. God has given so much more to me than I have ever given to him. I have sat and been fed in the house of God by a man of God preaching the word a lot more than I've stood and done it myself. I could identify more times of struggle than I could times of fruitfulness in my life, just to be honest with you. But I'm thankful that God didn't just take the ax out and chop me down. And let me tell you something. If God was waiting for you to slip up so he could strike you, you would have been struck a long time ago. And I want to thank God for his grace this morning, that he's long-suffering to us, and that he continues to give grace and that he continues to feed us and nourish us. I'm thankful for that voice of grace that spoke up here in this parable and said, give me just one more year to work with this tree and to nourish this tree and to do what is necessary to meet the void in its life so it could be fruitful once again. He said, if it bear fruit after another year, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. So I think it's reasonable to say that every tree Every tree in this room may have seasons in your life of unfruitfulness. What we need not to do is just to be contented with that and be content to remain in that condition. You'll find there's times where, uh, where, where Jesus recognizes this tree has been unfruitful long enough. Jesus looked at this tree and, and he knew the history of this tree. And the fact is this tree was in the right position and in the right condition to speak a message to his disciples. And really that's why he did what he did when he did it. But the first thing I want us to recognize and agree on, every tree has seasons of unfruitfulness. But then the next thing I recognize is that he cursed the tree because, and if you don't hear anything else that I have to say, if every tree has a season of unfruitfulness, why did he cut this one down? Or he didn't cut it down, but he cursed it rather. He cursed the tree because it claimed to have something that it did not have. See, it's one thing to be broken. It's one thing to be in a wounded season. It's one thing to have something wrong. It's another thing to live your life in hypocrisy. It's another thing to be so overcome with pride that you cannot admit what your needs are and you cannot submit yourself to God and find the healing that you need. It's one thing to be sick. It's another thing to be a hypocrite. Jesus, when he saw the tree from afar off, he saw the leaves and the tree looked so healthy and the tree in its own way was sending out a message and the tree was saying, look at me, look at my leaves. And you know, really, it is our tendency as as human beings, even as Christians, it's our tendency to say, hey, look at me. Look at my leaves. Look at my new suit. Look at how well I can preach. Look at the songs that I sing. Look at how I carry myself. Look at my little family and how perfect it is. We say to the world around us through our attitude and through our pride, look at my leaves. Look at how healthy I look. But I wonder upon closer examination, is there any fruit to be found? What's on your leaves this morning? When Jesus comes around to inspect for the fruit, what's he going to find? You know, I, I hear a lot of people, and, and there's a lot of truth in it, and I've said it myself. You know, some people, when, when they want to justify their criticism of others, they say, well, I, I'm not a judge, but I'm a fruit inspector. Well, 
Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit, but you know who the, who the chief inspector is? Jesus said, all judgment has been committed unto the Son. That's the fruit inspector. You may be saying, look at my leaves. Everything may look right. I'm not even questioning your salvation this morning. I'm questioning your fruit. What's on your branches? Is there anything other than leaves? What is on your branches this morning? I'm repetitive, but I want you to think about it. And I want you to answer that question in your own heart. The tree claimed to have something it didn't have. Do you want to know? Well, I'm hesitant to say this, but I think that I think I'm right in saying it. You know what does more damage to the gospel and the testimony of Jesus Christ than a beer joint on the side of the road? A church that claims to be something that upon closer examination, it's not. See, the folks in the beer joint don't claim to be anything. They don't claim to have the power of God in their lives. But when you see a church on the side of the road and you open the door and walk in, the church is saying, look at our leaves. The church is saying, we're healthy. We have fruit. Come in and take part of the fruit. And so many lost people upon closer examination of the ones in their workplace that claim to be born again and upon closer examination of the church down the street, upon closer examination of the examples of a Christian that have been presented to them, oftentimes, not always, thank God, but oftentimes they have found the fruit to be lacking or non-existent. I think that the chief problem with this tree was not the lack of fruit but the claim that it made to everyone around. Look at my leaves. Come and see the fruit. And the fruit was not there. Jesus had a problem with hypocrites. Just one of many examples in Matthew 6 and 5. Given an example to his disciples about how to pray with the right spirit and in an effective manner. He said, let me show you what not to do. And he pointed to the hypocrites. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street. That they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What were they saying? Look at our leaves. Come, see the leaves. I am healthy. I'm fruitful. Everything is right with this tree. And on closer examination, what was on their branches? There was fruit, but it was not the fruit that pleases God. Another thing I want to point out to you about this tree. Get this now. Jesus didn't make the tree barren. Jesus didn't curse the tree and make it fruitless. Jesus sealed it in its fruitlessness. See, the tree was barren before he ever walked up to it. He saw the leaves afar off, said to himself, that looks like a tree that ought to have some fruit on it. Walks up to it and doesn't find the fruit. He finds a tree that is wasting its life. He finds a tree that's not serving a purpose. He didn't make that tree unfruitful. 
He didn't do anything to that tree to cause it to become unfruitful or put it in a bad environment or, or poison it in any way. He didn't do any of those things. What he did do, he says to the tree in his own way, you've made your bed, now I'll let you sleep in it. This could be that tree that, figuratively speaking, this could be that tree that has been examined three years in a row. This tree could have been unfruitful for a lot longer than that. We really don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus found it upon inspection in a fruitless condition. He didn't make it that way. He just no longer invested in it. Could I ask you a question? How long has God been merciful? I'm not talking about the matter of salvation. I'm simply talking about being a productive Christian. How long has God been long-suffering with you? Oh, he's long-suffering, but his patience runs out eventually. How long has God extended grace to us as Christians that are simply, simply put, just not doing much? How long has he extended yet another year of grace? How long has he allowed us to continue on in an environment where we have no excuse not to thrive and not to grow? How long has he let us continue to live with unused potential and how long do we expect him to keep investing in our lives? Jesus didn't make the tree fruitless. He sealed it in its fruitlessness. Now, I understand this has probably not been the most encouraging message you could have expected to hear today, but I am going to end on a good note this morning. See, the tree was fruitless. It was hypocritical. It was barren before he even came by. He cursed that tree and, and, and its fate would be to remain in fruitlessness. The good news is simply this. It's nothing profound. The good news is you can produce fruit. Thank God that he has placed us in fertile soil. He has given us everything that we need. This is a great liberating truth if you ever get a hold of it. God has given you everything that you need to do what he has asked you to do. He hasn't called me or asked me to go out and do any great things that he hasn't equipped me to do. There are some great things I could be doing that I'm not doing. The sad truth is there is much fruit that we could bear that we have yet to bear. The good news is that we can. And the good news is it's very simple according to the word of God. Let me read you some, I think they're life-changing scriptures. Just real quickly, let me read a couple of short passages to you. And then you have a decision to make. Am I going to bear fruit or am I going to remain barren? Oh, that doesn't assume that everybody is fruitless. But I dare say there's a few of us in here. I'd say there's a few that we wouldn't want to have an inspection right now because we might be ashamed. Good news is we don't have to be ashamed. The good news is we can be fruitful. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 gave a guarantee. Now I like a guarantee because there's something to back up a guarantee. Listen to what Peter guaranteed to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 8 if you take these down. He said, and beside this, giving all diligence, 
Add to your faith virtue. And we don't have time to look at every one of these building blocks, but you should go back and do that later. It's a great study. Beside all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So we started with faith and we add virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. He told us eight things. Eight simple things. Listen to what he says about it. I want you to get this. He said, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to bear fruit? Do you want to be productive? I think he's made it awfully simple. He said, here are the things that need to be in your life that it's a guarantee if you forget about everything else and look at these eight things and throw all your energy into making sure that these things are not only found in your life but that they are dominant traits in your life. He said, automatically, you won't have to think about it. I believe it'll just happen. Fruit is going to come in your life. Now, why does it sound so simple and yet it's so hard? I've got an answer for that. Truth is, you can't bring these traits in your life. If they're not there, I can't put them there. I can't muster something up that's not there. Who can? Galatians 5 gives us another classic and better known passage about fruit. The answer is found there. Listen to this. Galatians 5 The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So all this fruit that we're talking about, all of this that's supposed to be produced out of our life and offered for Jesus for His glory, all of it apparently is not the fruit of my effort. Apparently, if I understand Scripture correctly, it is the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit of God is the one that brings it to pass. So where's the answer? How do I bring something? How do I yield something or produce something in my life that I don't have the power to produce and the Spirit of God is the only one that's going to do it? How can I somehow convince Him to do it? How can I talk him into doing it? That's the beauty of the thing. You don't have to talk him into it. It was his idea to begin with. So what is the answer to fruitlessness in our life? It's two simple words. One is yield. In Romans 6 and 12 and verse 13. Chapter 6, 12 and 13. Listen to this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, but ye should obey it, that ye should obey it, In the lust thereof, neither, here's a word now, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God. What what does yield mean? What do you do when you find that yield sign? 
You give the right way to somebody else. You submit yourself to somebody else and let them go ahead of you. That's really all God's asking us to do. Stop and yield to him. Let him go ahead and we're going to follow him and he's really going to do the work in us. Paul said it's no longer I but Christ that lives within me. He's not asking me to do all these things that I can't do. He's asking me to yield myself to him. In other words, to submit myself to him. In other words, to give him the authority in my life to come in and do what only he can do. And it's not a cliche. And it's not just church rhetoric. It is a reality that if I would ever truly and sincerely and genuinely yield myself to the spirit of God, he would begin to do things that I cannot do. It's a great, simple, liberating truth. Yield. And then the other is just as simple. This is the last scripture I'll share with you. If they want to come and get us a song of invitation this morning, this would be a real good time for someone to pray. The answer is to yield. And then also it is this, another simple word, abide. John 15, as I referenced before, John 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. So he's asked me to yield, and then he's asked me to abide. What does abide mean? It means to live or to dwell. In other words, it's, it's really simple. Submit yourself, yield yourself to the Spirit of God and just stay that way. Just continue to live in the presence of God. Continue on in that lifestyle, that mindset of submitting or yielding to Him. And He's going to continue to do what He has promised He would do. We've made things way too complicated as Christians today. It's really a simple book. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to prosper spiritually. He's given you what you need to do that. Would you come? Could we stand together this morning? And if you have a need in your life, a need for salvation, a need for submission, would you come and pray this morning?